Welcome to Live Free Church. We're a church that's passionate about reaching people at all costs. Here you can find all our recent sermons. We are so glad that you joined us today. We want people to live free lives ultimately found in Jesus because we believe that free people, free people. Hey, welcome to Live Free Church. I'm Colby. And uh, we're in week number two of our four-week series in Advent called God is With Us. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I need Christmas more than ever. And it's not just about the things I, I want to see under the tree this Christmas, but actually receiving and experiencing Jesus this year. That deeply I'm realizing that this year has been so hard, emotionally, spiritually, and I'm longing to experience more of Jesus this year. This is a, this is a season where I think we're living knowing that Jesus will come back one day and restore and renew all things. There's a, there's a page in between the Old and New Testament, if you go between it, go before Matthew's Gospel starts, and there's just a blank page. In that blank page, really that one single blank page represents 400 years of darkness, of God's silence. See, the story we're talking about today, which we talked about last week, this nativity story, starts in darkness. Think about last month in November, that there's a day where we set our clocks back an hour, and I realized something, maybe you realized that it was darker. That my, my kids at bedtime were like, Dad, like, I need a light on. It is really dark in here. Actually, I'm really terrified. I think at Christmas, we're realizing that there's illumination, that people with their Christmas lights up early because I think we want to experience the light in the midst of the darkness. As days were getting darker, we realized that as a, I realized as a parent, as a father, my kids see the darkness and have major fears attached to it. That maybe you have fears attached to darkness. I think it's our natural, our natural posture to want someone or something when it's dark, when we feel like alone and isolated. The whole entire experience of Christmas is to display the love of God, the the fact that God loves you and I so much that he came to earth so you could know him and learn to trust him and love him back. It's what theologians call the incarnation, that God became one of us, a human being, so he could understand, so we could understand what he was like. Last week we spent this, this whole sermon on the name of Jesus that maybe you've heard the name of Jesus before. It's a very common term to hear about in, um, in North America. There, you look at the Simpsons and the Family Guy, there's references to it. But I think for us, when you look at the name Jesus, it's so often kind of like just skipped over. Right? Like if you're, if you're not in the church, you usually use it as a swear word. If you are in the church, it's so easy just to use it as like a Bible school answer for every like right answer for anything. It's Jesus. But really this name, Yeshua, which really is the Lord saves, it shows us that we were thought of. That you and, and myself, our need to be rescued and saved is, is written into Jesus' name. But I want to spend it on another word today in this passage, and it's Emmanuel, which really means God is with us. You might say, well, man, why are we spending two weeks on two different words, not just getting to the whole passage. 
It's a lot of time to spend on one word, but I think sometimes people have spent their whole lives on a word and have not considered it enough. There's a theologian, John Wesley, who was the great founder of the Methodist Church, and as he was dying, the last words he spoke were, the best of all is God is with us, Emmanuel. See, as he died with that on his lips, I propose to you today that you live, it with, live with those words on your mind, with your heart. And it might have the same kind of influence on your heart that, that might bring you into the greatness it brought John Wesley's life into. The posture for people around you, your neighbors, your family, your coworkers, that God is with us, but he's also with them, with others. Actually, this, this one word, Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word used in Isaiah, really is translated in the English into three words, which is God with us. These three profound words. I would hope that this Christmas that we'd understand that every one of those words we need to look at because it should hit us like a tsunami an overflowing awareness of God's posture of love in the midst of our sin and our brokenness, in the midst of all your fears, and that God is with us right now. Let's look at this gospel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you have a Bible, go there. If you have an app, go there. Here's what it says here. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what had been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she'll give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus because he will save all his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him and he married her but did not have sexual relations with her until after she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. See, the simple meaning of Christmas is that the creator, the king of the universe, has become a human being, that he has become God with us. That's the message of Christmas. Like everything else is secondary. That the creator God became a human being, and that's really the purpose and the meaning of Christmas. In John's Gospel, another eyewitness account said this, this very famous thing, that God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. That he moved into our neighborhood. See, God is with us, but he's also with you. And it's not just this vague understanding of this, like, out there God. Right? I think that's what people have, a, have struggled with at Christmas, that there's, like, this God out there I was officiating this wedding a couple of years ago, and I officiated this wedding, and, I, and they asked me to pray um, 
at the reception, I prayed, and someone got up and said this amazing thing. I thought this was really profound. They said, you know what? This couple, they said, you know, the universe declares that this is good. They may have been like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, the uni- I've never heard the universe declare anything. Have you? I was like, the universe? In- interesting that the universe declares something over this couple. You see, Scripture tells us it cannot resist telling us over and over and over again there's a God with us, but it's not just like this overarching God. There's Jesus who is God with us at every spot. See, this is the first place that Jesus is introduced the beginning of Matthew's gospel, and right away he, we're told he's God. And all the way through the text, all the way through the New Testament, it's over and over and over repeated again and again and again, so we would not miss this, that this is who God is who's with us. It's Jesus. That Jesus is God. See, there's no way to understand this whole text if you miss this point. That God with us is Jesus. That actually nothing about Christianity will ever make sense if you don't see this. That the Bible tells us hundreds of ways. A lot of people say, well, where does it say that, that Jesus is God? I think that's people's problem with Christmas. It's like people say things like happy holidays or that's why there's all this outcry of like keeping Christ in Christmas or when people have like this outrage about the fact that Starbucks cups don't say Christmas on them. Right? It's that Christians want to keep Christ in Christmas. And if you aren't a Christian, it's really hard because there's an exclusiveness to Christianity. When people ask, well, where does it say that Jesus is God? Well, there's a, a place in John 1 where it tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, the reference point that Matthew gives about Emmanuel, which is Jesus, who is God with us, really refers back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. If you go back and listen or read that whole passage, those are some reference points, but there's over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, this overarching point that it isn't just this, you know, small g God, this overarching presence. It's actually a person who's with, with us constantly. His name is Jesus. See, for example, you know, how do we know that, that Jesus forgives people their sins? We talks about in this passage. You see, do you understand the ramifications of the fact that Jesus forgives you and I for our sins? See, if David, one of my apprentices, punches Levi, my other apprentice, in the nose, and I walk over to David and I say, David, I forgive you. Right? David and Levi both look at me and say, what are, are you an idiot? Like, you can't forgive David because only, you can only forgive David if you're Levi. You only forgive it if, if you've been punched in the nose. You can only forgive a sin if it's against you, right? That's our whole posture. See, therefore, you can't understand or you don't see what Jesus means when he says to the paralytic, when he, say, when, he, when he heals him in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, and says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. How could Jesus go about forgiving sin unless he means that every sin in human history is against him? It's not against you or I. 
See, when David punches Levi in the nose, and maybe he deserves it sometimes, it's against Jesus. Because Jesus is the creator. That Jesus owns us and we are his. That's the only possible premise or basis on which Jesus could forgive all sins if every sin has been against him. It's assuming that, that Jesus is God. And that Jesus is the God who is with us. See, before kind of leaving this first point, I just kind of want to hit on this, that the fact that I think that at Christmas we need to understand that, that God is with us. And a lot of people are saying, I think that we need Christmas more than ever, but I think it's not just Christmas, the experience of Christmas, that we need Jesus with us more than ever. I think a lot of people find Christianity irritating a lot of times at Christmas because of its exclusivity. And it's demand that you only worship Jesus. That when you see him as the only way to God and you give all your allegiance to him, Right, when you look at this gospel, when you look at Matthew's account, it's Jesus who is God with us. The ramifications of that is that you and I are sinful, broken people, and the only way we get to it is if we actually ask for forgiveness. See, every religion out there says that our founder is a great teacher and, and morality and goodness are our ways to reach God. That every other religion says that our founder is a, a great teacher who li- teaches you how to live your life better. And if you live this way, this certain way, that you'll actually get to God. Every other religion says that moral, morality and goodness are enough. But Christianity comes along and says, no, no, actually, your, your situation, your situation is so much more dire than you could possibly imagine. That you and I are way more sinful than we could possibly imagine. That there's sin that, that I know about that you know about in your own life, that maybe it's been hidden for years and years and years. And Christianity comes and says, the only way through it is that if Jesus, who is God with us, had to come and die in your place. You have to put all your hope and your rest on him. And you see so often, like, that's way too narrow. It's way, way, way too narrow for me. There can't just be one way. There has to be multiple ways. Just imagine if you and I were, if you were sick and you went to go see several different doctors and everyone, one of them said, you went to a natural path and a doctor and, and everyone said, well, it's not that serious. Just go home and rest and drink lots of fluid and you'll be fine. But what if I came along and I'm a doctor and I say to you, the other doctors are wrong and you're actually, you're terminal unless you take this particular medicine. Right? What, what would you say to me? Would you say, oh, you're just you're so narrow-minded. Let's go back and listen to all the other doctors and all their prescriptions and medications and like, let's just weigh the odds. You wouldn't say that. You'd say either this is right or wrong. And you want to know if this is true or not. And if, if this was the medicine to cure you, to make you better, to cure you from a terminal disease, you wouldn't say this is way too narrow. There's only one way. There has to be other ways. You would say, I want the narrow way. I want the narrow way to be healed and free. See, every religion says that you're good enough to achieve favor on your own with God. 
and that Christianity is the only one who looks at your condition and says, you can't do it on your own. Your moral life, your goodness, like you don't just need a, a good teacher or a good person to show you a better life. That you need a savior to save you from sin, Satan, and yourself. See, this Christmas, I know that I don't need more things. I don't need more presents under my tree, but in 2020, in a pandemic, that I need a God who sees me, that I need a God who saves me, who dies from me, for me, who rises again so I can live every day in this life and this power. But you have to first realize that the God who is with us is Jesus. Like that's God with us. That's the beautiful part. That's the great God. That's the, the part of all his majesty that's infinitely greater than, than our universe who has put himself in a human form. He has come alongside us. He has entered into a personal relationship with us. He moved into our neighborhood and he is the God who is with us. Up until the moment that Jesus shows up on the scene in Matthew's gospel, that whenever there's a presence of God, whenever that presence comes near, it always looks terrifying, absolutely terrifying. If you read back through any stories in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Job who, there's a whole book of, of Job's experience, how he experienced so much pain and suffering. But when he shows up, when God shows up, what does he show up as? A whirlwind, a tornado, a hurricane. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen a tornado. I have it, and I want to I keep it that way. I do not want to see a tornado or a hurricane. Like, I'm terrified enough when I see a, like a lightning storm in the summer. I'm like, kids, get inside. Like, you cannot be outside. Get inside right now. When we were in Salmon Arm, we had a house with trees around it, and all, the trees would always creak because they're so big. And I'd always be like, kids, get in the basement. You can ask my wife. Terrified. But in the Old Testament, when God showed up, it was terrifying. In Revelation, when you look at John's account, he's terrified by God's presence. See, why do you think when, when God showed up in Jesus Christ, he wasn't a pillar of fire, but he was a baby? Because you know, if you've, if you've ever had a child, there's nothing as tender as a baby. Like it takes my wife a second to look at a baby in a movie and go, oh my goodness. Like, I want another one. It's like, what? Like, because babies are so incredibly cute. They're incredibly there. You can pick them up. You can hug them. You see, there's nothing like a baby. But once they get past three or four years old, you can't always pick them up and hug them like you could when they're a little infant. They have their own agenda. They have their own will. They may be mad at you because you will let them have whatever it is that they want. So my kids, they come over from school right now and they can't have friends over and they're like, 
Can I watch a show? And it's like, no, you're not watching a show again. But mom, dad, come on, how could you? But little babies, the most intimate and familiar form of human existence, you pick them up and they're always there for you. You pick them up and you can kiss them and they're always completely open. They're accessible. They're vulnerable. See, why would God come in the form of a baby when the last time he was a tornado? The last time he was a pillar of fire? Because this time, Jesus Christ came to be God with us. He came to die, to take away the barrier from you and I. This isn't just a God. This is God with us. This is the God we need with us this Christmas. But ask this question, like, who did God come to be with? You know, if you look at all the Christmas texts and you see the way, you know, the people have been invited to the nativity story to experience Jesus' birth. There's always people who are humble, right? Shepherds. Like shepherds are the ones who get the invitation. Astrologers, outcasts, people away from our society because why do you think they're the ones who get the invitation, not kings and queens and royalty? But outcasts, people, those are the ones that, that God is with. That's the us. The only people who can receive this great gift are the people who come without references, without arguments, the people who never, ever, ever come and say, you owe me because I've tried really hard. It's never because of what you've done. It's because of what Christ has done. The us in this story is people who, who show up without any conditions who are available for God to work in their lives. That is the us here in this story. There's a famous story about this theologian, Martin Luther, who we base a lot of our theology off of from the Reformation. And he was very religious for a very long time, and he was a teacher in seminary. He taught through the Book of Romans. And he was, this was all before he became a Christian. So he was very busy. He came to the church all before he was a Christian. He confessed sins twice a day. He took the sacraments. In a sense, he was like the person who, become, who comes to Christ thinking that they're owed something. See, he was always in God's general presence, but he really hadn't met him yet. He experienced the things of God, but didn't actually be with him. He wasn't with the God who was with us. He was doing things expecting a reward, an outcome. He says, in this biography I was reading, it says, one day I was studying Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and I realized all along I had been trying to earn my own righteousness and be good on my own merits. And suddenly I realized that in Jesus Christ, he came, he died for me to fulfill all the requirements and therefore all the righteousness I needed to be acceptable with God was something I had to receive as a gift. 
Luther said, at that moment, I felt like I was ushered through the open gates into paradise. See, that is being with the God who's with us. Being aware of the gift. Being aware of God's grace. Being aware of his presence. And the hustle and bustle and the fear of a pandemic in 2020 and trying to buy your kids the right toys and the right gifts and buy your spouse the right things on, on Black Friday. I think we need more than ever to be aware of the gift that God is with us. That he's a gift that we need to cherish. I I learned so much from my children. And I remember that feeling of being a kid on Christmas morning. I think as an adult, the older you get, the more you realize like, you know, like I'll open up my gifts and be like, okay, cool. Like I could have bought all that stuff myself, but thanks for buying it for me. Um, I'm going to go out and make breakfast. I'm going to go out and drink some coffee. But my kids, it's amazing. When they open their presents on Christmas morning, one, they're such amazement, right? They open them up and they're like, oh my goodness, dad, can you build this Lego set for the next six hours? Like, okay, just let me get my cup of coffee first and then I'll help you build Lego for the next day and a half. Right? Like, I think we can learn a lot from kids and how they cherish a gift. This Christmas, when we come to Jesus, I think we need to cherish the fact that we were in darkness and Jesus moved into the neighborhood to know us, to love us, and to pursue us. This year, it might mean waking up 30 minutes early to cherish that relationship in the morning before your kids break through the bedroom doors and ask to watch a show or what's for breakfast. It might mean downloading a devotional and every day for the next 24 days starting December 1st is reading a little bit about who Christ is and what his purpose and passion is this Christmas. It might mean knowing that there is fear in our lives this season. It's okay to say we're fearful. We're fearful of the future. It's been a crazy year. And yet there's a God who is with us, who hasn't abandoned us, who hasn't let us down, who knows our fears and our doubts. The number one command in the Bible is do not be afraid. And there's an amazing sermon you should go back and watch, which really hit me from David McMaster on free people are not afraid. But I read this this stat about the fact that that's the number one command. But I think for us, we need to live in that because we're very fearful people. I'm a fearful person. This guy Rick Warren said that the way we study this word, do not be afraid, it said it was said 365 times in the Bible because that we could have one command for each day of the year. It shows the significance of us, the, the fact that that we are afraid, but it's okay to acknowledge the fact that we're so fearful that we need to enter into God's presence, that we need to cherish him this Christmas and say, God, that you are enough, that you are the God who is with us, who hasn't abandoned us. It might seem your apathy this year in realizing that you've just made God in your own image. I see this all the time in Kelowna. That people can justify any experience or any understanding of who God is. If you want more money, you just... Go to church that that emphasizes the fact that that God wants you to be rich. I don't know how you justify the fact that that Jesus, when he showed up in the world, he was homeless. 
and when he left this world, he still didn't have a home because heaven was his home. Like, what do we do with those kind of situations? But me, it looks at your apathy this year and realizing that, that we've created God in our image. But the God who is with us came to understand us, to show us his love, to show us his compassion, to save us from our own sin, from our own brokenness, so we could actually be restored and redeemed this year. I know for a fact that I don't need more Colby's around. But what I do need is more of Jesus. So I'd love for us this Christmas, this week, to spend time every day cherishing God, that he is with us, that he hasn't abandoned us or forsaken us, especially in 2020, especially in a pandemic. I'd love to pray for you all. Let's pray. God, we need you like never before. I need you in this season. A season where, as we were entering a season where it's darker at night, I just can feel the darkness around me, Lord, that you are with us. You are with me in my fears and my doubts and my failures. Lord, that you are with us. That you know us and you love us and you're pursuing us. Father, I pray that we would cherish you like a kid would cherish a Christmas present on Christmas morning. That we want to spend time with you, that we would want to be with you, Lord. That we'd be so broken up about our apathy that we'd want to be created in your image. God, that it's great news that you became flesh and blood and moved in our neighborhood so we could have a savior, savior who isn't just a good teacher or a wise person, but that someone actually came to live and die and rise again so we could have newness of life and power to live every day, Lord, the way you want us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.